0: Jack Riccardi at 550 and 1071 KTSA. Good afternoon. I cannot keep up with this uh, thing in the house with Speaker. I, I I mean, I wrote my column for KTSA.com like uh, 35 minutes ago. And the guy that they were considering for Speaker, it's not even important who, he's already out of the deal. It's already over. Um, so uh, this, is, uh, this is bananas. This is crazy crazy what they're doing right now and um you know we do you remember don the day the guy called in this was at the very beginning and suggested trump and i gave him a little bit of a hard time i think i said that'll never happen yes you remember that guy yeah you know what Uh, they they may need him they may need him uh, and, and, yet here's the funny part, you and I were talking about this a minute ago, but, um, so the, 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 the caller had called and said, since the rules say that the mem the, the, speaker of the house doesn't have to be a member of the house, and that's true, although it's never been done, uh, he said, well, you know, Donald Trump should be the speaker of the house, and, uh, he could probably get the votes, and so forth and so on, and wouldn't that be sticking it to the Democrats, and, um, I I, I, now I'm beginning to see what he meant, but I, you know, I I guess the way I look at it, um, I think Trump is having more fun on the outside than he would on the inside. You know, I mean, he, he. If you think about speakers of the House, we generally don't know who these people are until they get the job. They're they're known in their district, they're known in their state. But we didn't know who Nancy Pelosi was. We didn't know who who. John Boehner was, right? They're usually not very well-known people. Kevin McCarthy, you know, who, know, who knew who, the, unless you're a political junkie. I mean, I know you, if you're listening to this show, there's a good chance you knew who these people were. But, I mean, the general public doesn't know. So it's a, it's a big promotion. But if you're Donald Trump, you're the most famous Republican, you're the leader of the Republican Party now. If anything, Trump probably would take the job because I don't think he wants there to be a rival, I don't think he wants there to be another Republican who suddenly everybody is interviewing and quoting and what does so-and-so say? What does the new speaker say? And let's get his reaction to this or that development in the Middle East or with Biden or whatever. I, so if if anything, Trump is probably at this point just enjoying the chaos and probably not seeking to bring it to an end. You'll notice he's not really taken a hand in this. He hasn't put his foot down and said, look, I think it needs to be Joe Smith, and I insist that you uh you know if, if he really wanted to end this he could have just picked a name do you do you think so i think he could have just picked a name and said to the republicans look um my litmus test for whether you're maga my litmus test for whether you're with me is you got to vote for joe smith as speaker and i insist on it and we have to have him and you're a rhino if you don't that this thing would have been over in 5 minutes so i think he's actually keeping it in flux and feels that that is good for him. He's having a hell of a time out there, Trump. I mean, you think about it. Everything that's going on with Biden is a reinforcement of of sort of Donald Trump's I told you so, right? Um, it, th- these last three years have made his first three years look epic. Um, he was speaking somewhere Monday night, and he started riffing on the word us. Listen to this. This is a guy with 91 indictments on him. And 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 listen to how he sounds right now. Cut number
1: eleven. is On our business, and why are you doing that? He said uh, Macron, nice guy. You know, look, he's for France. I'm for, I'm for us. I'm for us. You know how you spell us, right? You spell us, U.S. I just picked that up. Has anyone ever thought of that before? I just picked that up. A couple of days I'm reading, and it said us. And I said, you know, if you think about it, us <laughs> equals
0: U.S. Is, isn't it? Now, if we say something genius, they'll never say it. Oh, man, you know, the we guy get is. 25, 30, I 40. mean, he's just having such a good time. I mean, you gotta. I I, I was saying to Don Cooper uh, off the air. I said, you know, if we didn't know that he is completely a teetotaler, he doesn't drink, he doesn't take any drugs, never has. If we didn't know. He he's like your Stoner friend in college, you know, like that one guy everybody knew that like, Man, have you ever really looked at a light switch? I mean, whoa, you know. He just he just notices stuff and just riffs. Those cabinet meetings must have been a trip back in the day. So that's what's going on with the speaker thing. There isn't one. Uh this is what I was writing about today at KTSA.com. The San Diego office of the Border Patrol sent out an internal memo on Friday night. And Friday night is the dumping the news, we don't want anybody to notice time for everything, okay? They put out an internal alert saying that Hezbollah, Hamas, and Palestinian Islamic Jihad fighters were at the southern border. And it's a very elaborate uh You know, right up, it explains that these groups are being encountered more frequently. In fact, by the government's count, uh, they're encountering um, people on watch lists 10 times more this year than in 2021, and 2021 was already a bonkers year. Uh, It's 10 times what it was two years ago on the border. And they wrote this up to warn their uh, personnel. And I was thinking, what happened to... um, Do you remember if you see something, say something? Remember after 9-11, there were all those public service announcements and President Bush and everybody, if you see something, say something. Is that still, are we still doing that? Because that was basically the government saying, hey, look around your everyday, look around your environs. As you go about your business, anything doesn't look kosher, let us know. And that's profiling, but it's okay for people to profile. It's not okay for the government to profile, but it's okay for you and me to, to size up a situation and read it however we read it. And it was a little bit like what they told the folks at home during World War II, you know, look for planes, look for strange happenings, report strangers in town, et cetera, people asking questions about military bases, all that stuff. So that's what we were doing after 9-11. If you're old enough to remember, right after 9-11, see something, say something. And of course, we're probably not doing that now because now this administration would say that was Islamophobia, right? See something, say something now would be our our problem with Islamophobia, which, as we keep hearing, is the biggest problem we have. It's the biggest problem in the world. There's nothing worse, well, white males, but after white males, there's nothing worse than America's proclivity... For Islamophobia, and if you don't believe me, I'm going to play this for you. KJP gets a question about the rise of anti-Semitism and winds up, and Don, I don't even remember which clip number this is, the one where she gets the question about anti-Semitism, but she gives the anti-Islamophobia answer. Do you have that one?
2: The president himself said silence is complicity. So if there's anti-Semitic letters being sent by students or protests, sentiment of at course, protests. Of course
3: the president doesn't uh, is, is, uh, 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 is against anti-Semitism. Of course. This is a president uh, that you have heard me say is prote- wants to protect communities, whether it's the Jewish community, uh, the Arab American pre- community, the Palestinian co- community. This is someone who is going to speak out against anti-Semitism, of course. Uh, but you're asking me; you're, you're yeah. you were kind of conflating the two. You were That's asking really me about That's not the pr- one. But we'll find
0: it. We'll find it. Um, I'll, I'll figure out which one it is. Uh, but she basically gave an answer about Islamophobia to a question about anti-Semitism, and today she says. It's because I misheard the question. Um, don't you think, though? Getting back to what I was saying about San Diego, don't you think they should tell the public if you're serious about this? If this is serious, if this is if we're at heightened alert and there's a global travel warning for Americans, why is the the Border Patrol internally discussing but not putting out the word to people in, in border communities about terrorist? Groups at the border or terrorist members at the border. Is the avoidance of Islamophobia that important? I don't know if you remember it. Norm Macdonald told a joke. The late Norm Macdonald told a joke uh, many years ago. And um, I'm not going to do it justice, but his joke was that if the Islamic terrorists got a nuke and killed 50 million Americans with it, his greatest fear would be the mistreatment of peace-loving Muslims. And he was he was trying to make with absurdist humor that point that our leaders keep telling us we are disappointing to them in that we are Islamophobic. But phobic means you have an irrational fear of something. Seems like there is a rational need to be aware of the fact that there are 10 times as many people associated with terror groups on the southern border as there were two years ago. That seems rational, not irrational. And see something, say something only works if you tell people what what the danger is and what they're supposed to be looking for. So I want to talk about that, 210-599-5555. I don't normally talk a lot about polls and surveys, but there was one about uh, the Israel-Hamas war and public opinion about where people stand and and people firmly stand behind israel 7 out of 10 americans 81% of republicans 74% of democrats support providing aid uh to israel standing with israel uh 71% believe uh that it's either very important or somewhat important to protect israel um and on and on it goes, and it's it's pretty strong in both the Democratic and Republican uh, parties. Uh, the problem is, and this is a Harvard-Harris survey, so it's a pretty reliable survey, the problem is that when you start going down in age, it really changes. Um, so, for example, in the 18 to 24 age group, college age, 18 to 24, 51% could justify the Hamas attack. 25 to 34, 48% could justify the Hamas attack. And even when they ask people, now do you believe it's true that Hamas terrorists killed 1,200 Israeli civilians by shooting, raping, and beheading people, they do. 68% 68% say it's true, 32% say it's false. But still half of them say Hamas is justified. Are you hearing this? Are you is is this is this hitting you the way it's hitting me? Like if that was true and I'm not saying it has to be just because a poll says so, but if that was true, that is a a canyon in public opinion. That is a a a fissure in our society that I don't know if you can repair. Like I don't know, I don't know if there's any coming back from that. If that's really where we are, and I'm saying if I I don't know that there's any coming back from that. That might be the most discouraging statistic I've heard in a long time. And uh the great John Hayward was writing about this on X and he was basically hanging it at the or 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 putting it at the feet of of modern uh leftism and liberalism uh saying uh modern liberalism is punitive leftists take vicious glee in punishing they judge guilty uh, punishing those they judge guilty of privilege, racism oppression colonialism etc so all you have to do is tell young people that group a are oppressors, and he's saying they will then support anything that is done to or befalls Group A. Like, it doesn't matter how egregious or graphic or gross or, you know, um, primeval it is. If you just put the right label on a, on a nationality, on a group, on a race, on an ethnicity, on a nation, if they're oppressors or colonial uh, colonialists, colonizers, um, then they deserve whatever happens to them. He writes, leftism paints a veneer of intellectual sophistication and morality over the most brutish human impulses, the urges to coerce and destroy. You see that, right? Like during COVID, the leftists were the ones that were very into authority and giving orders and demanding that you comply and obey orders and calling people out. They were like the hall monitors of COVID, right? They were going around catching people without their masks, and you're only five feet from me, not six. Hayward writes, the sum total of all left-wing thought, guided and influenced by Marx, his philosophical heirs, and the Soviet cultivation of oppression theology in Western academia is to identify class enemies and commit acts of destruction to weaken and terrorize them. So what he's saying is when people like the ones in this poll hear the news about what happened on October 7th, their first impulse is not, oh, that must have been terrible or that shouldn't happen to anybody. Their first impulse is basically to say, well, those people are not our kind of people. And if that happened to them, then maybe they had it coming. Hayward writes, show a leftist plans to make life better for everyone by reducing the tax burden or cutting regulations and they'll spit and shriek at you like the celebrity guest demon at an exorcism. This is one reason the Church of Global Warming blew up so quickly among academic leftists. It's an open-ended quasi-religious inquisition against capitalism, the middle class, oppressors, and their comforts. It says modern prosperity is a sin that must be scourged. Show a climate activist evidence that their electric vehicles don't really reduce carbon emissions overall, and you get the same spitting demon reaction. Again, the wh- the whip is the point of it all, not the horses. Writes Hayward. Um, but yeah, if 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 that Harvard Harris poll is right, I, I think we're in. We're in a lot of trouble. What do, you, what do you think about that? And we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the speaker thing. We're going to follow these stories throughout the afternoon. We're going to get to your calls on them, of course. A lot more. New JR poll, 210-599-5555. It's completely my mistake, not Don Cooper's mistake. But let me clean up the soundbite. This is the one I meant to play from uh, KJP, uh, cut number seven
3: level of concern right now about the potential rise of anti-Semitism in light of everything that's going on in Israel? So a couple of things. Um, Look, um, uh, we have not seen uh, any credible uh, threats. I know there's been always questions about uh, credible threats, uh, and so I just want to make sure that that's out there. But look, uh, Muslim and those perceived uh, to be Muslim have endured a disproportionate uh, number of hate-fueled attacks. And certainly, President Biden understands that many of our Muslim Arab, Arab Americans, and Palestinian American loved ones and neighbors are worried about the hate being directed.
0: So she goes into the you know you can tell when she kind of shifts into reading right out of the, the Trapper Keeper. But I, 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 this is fascinating, right? Like you you're watching this happen, and it's surreal. They are talking like the country is being swept by Islamophobia and hate crimes against Muslims. There are actually hate crimes against Jews. And that was the question, but that's not the answer. And you can chalk that up to she's not very bright or you can chalk that up to this is a a classic change the topic of the conversation uh, moment. We're seeing like an agenda shift. Uh, I, I, I'm old enough to remember when anti-Semitism was itself considered a very serious thing, and people on the left were, they took a backseat to no one in in, in denouncing it, defending, uh, you know, proclaiming everyone has a right to be here, never again, they would say, regarding the Holocaust. Uh, so this is interesting to watch. Uh, we were talking about the Harvard-Harris survey. Basically, half of people under 37 say the hamas attacks are justifiable or could be and if that's true uh it's what john hayward said that we've we've remapped the the moral compass we've we've demagnetized it or we've reset it or something uh of of young americans i i don't know if it is true but it, that that is a very bad sign if it is john is calling in 210-599-5555 <clears throat> john good afternoon
4: Good afternoon, Jack. You know, it's, you know, it's disgusting. Anybody would justify cutting babies' heads off, but I'm sure, I'm not surprised, and I'm sure neither are you, uh, one bit. You know, young people are being taught, especially in college, to, you know, to be bigoted and racist and use violence in the name of, you know, fighting bigotry and racism. You know, the uh, sick hypocrites, look how they uh, uh, get triggered by the American flag, Jack. We're the only country that has uh, young people like that. You know, Jack, it, it says in the Bible that many countries are going to attack uh, Israel, but they will not succeed. You know, uh, there's this lady on YouTube talking about the Jews just got there in the 40s. No, the Jews were there thousands of year, uh, years, mm-hmm. years ago. Uh, uh, Joshua named uh, the land Israel, King David named the no. uh, capital. I don't think,
0: John, that the, the – what I take from that poll is not that Israel has to worry. What I take from that poll is that we have to worry. Um, Israel can and will defend itself. Israel as as a society is raising its young people to take personally and take seriously the survival and the sovereignty of their country. From what I can tell, I shouldn't say it like I've been there, but I mean, from what I can tell, their system inculcates in their people the idea that, hey, this is our country and it's our responsibility to defend it. I'm not worried about them as much as I'm worried. This poll makes me worry about us. Because I'll tell you right now, it could happen here. And it wouldn't just happen to Jews. You see people with these coexist stickers and all this tolerance talk. They are saying that the physical torture and brutal killing of people with whom they have political differences might be justifiable Well, they have political differences with you. You are not just disappointing to them, you are revolting to them. What you believe, what your values are, how you want to raise your kids, how you vote uh, is a problem for them. They're not coexisting with it. And while they celebrate the Hamas savagery, they are signaling that that's on the table. I'm not saying it's about to happen. But if this poll is accurate, it's, it's, I guess it's possible in a way that we wouldn't have thought in our country 20 years ago it was possible. And we may have seen the end of the era of we're all in this together, or things like nine eleven, where everybody thought, or, or almost everybody said, well, you know, this is, this involves all of us, and it's going to take all of us, and if you see something, say something, and um, I, I'm getting indications we're not maybe that that society anymore, and that is a problem. So yeah, I mean this um, Harvard survey about people's attitudes toward Israel and Hamas, which basically says overall very large majorities of people see Israel as the right side or the 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 wronged party, but when you break it down by age, it's totally different, and essentially for the Gen Z slash millennials, it's a toss-up. Hamas might be justified in doing what they did. Israel might have had that coming. Okay, that is so bananas, I want to just throw that out, but it's a pretty reputable poll, and let's face it, we may not like the way it sounds, but it's sort of backed up by anecdotal stuff that we are all observing. And then you have leaders that um have this weird tick where when confronted with anti Semitism, they deliver lectures about anti Islam. And I feel like they are seeing an imaginary friend or, you know, Harvey the rabbit or something. There's there's not a even allowing for the population difference like there's 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 more jews than there are muslims in the united states but but even allowing for that like the percentage of hate crimes toward jews is exponentially like hundreds of percents higher than hate crimes against muslims and not that any crime is is okay not that even one is okay but but the point being the 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 lecture the rhetoric out of this white house and out of this democratic party is completely out of whack with what's actually happening around us this is a story that's uh going around in los angeles right now it's about a middle school and um what happened when some middle sc- jewish middle school students um were um you know kind of intimidated or or bullied uh, on a bus. Uh, this is a KNBC TV story. Listen to this, cut number four.
5: Parents of at least four Jewish students at Manhattan Beach Middle School say their children have been the targets of verbal attacks by the same student. And that say it started days after Hamas attacked Israel.
3: Parents now expressing their frustration with the school district. They say not enough is being done. NBC4's Alex Rozier has a story now from Manhattan Beach Middle School.
2: Joshua Kalev is a rabbi at CTJ Synagogue in Manhattan Beach. He's heartbroken over what's happening in the Middle East and saddened by recent threats reported at Manhattan Beach Middle School. There are four girls um, in separate incidents that I know of um, that were approached by another student um, who said that they were part of an Israeli conspiracy who glorified what took place on October 7th. But one mom, who didn't speak with us on camera because she fears for her family's safety, said the student took it even further, saying she wants to kill all Jews and that Israel deserved it, adding, quote, I believe in revenge. Not all of them knew exactly what took place. Um, And here they were being verbally attacked, both in class and outside of class. Manhattan Beach Unified School District said they don't tolerate any form of anti-Semitism. They say this situation was thoroughly investigated, but student privacy laws prevent them from disclosing the consequences. They say, please know appropriate consequences have been administered. But the mom we spoke with said the district closed their investigation after they determined the students' words were political, not hateful. These girls okay, hold were it right not there, down.
0: Out. hold it right there, hold it right there, hold on. So they closed the investigation because they said the words were political, not hateful. And the new slogan going around in public schools, if you haven't been around one lately, the signs, the banners, the mantras, is there is no place for hate. This school has no place for hate. This is no place for hate. That's the new gun-free zone sign. Remember gun-free zones, oh we're gonna put up signs that say it's a gun-free zone and we won't have any more shootings. Well now the, the signs say no place for hate. And so what is the distinction between something is not hateful but it's political? What about kids that get in trouble for wearing NRA sweaters or MAGA hats? That's political but that's not allowed. And then they made, the report goes on to say they made the students sign uh, basically non-disclosure agreements. They call it a no-contact contract. So they're not allowed to talk about it. And I thought that was interesting, too, because isn't it, in fact, the case that, for example, I'll just pick LGBTQ, for example, like those kids are encouraged to talk when they come forward, oh, by all means, talk. We we need to hear from you. You need to be visible. But these students were told, don't talk. And they were they actually signed a paper promising that they wouldn't. So when you see that, and if you know anything about the actual hate crime statistics, why do the leaders keep telling us, warning us, lecturing us, about Islamophobia. And I think the question kind of answers itself when you put all the pieces together. 210 599 Gail is next on the radio. Gail, good afternoon.
5: Hi, can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. Great, thanks for taking my call. Um, listen, in terms of that UN survey, and I didn't see the exact verbiage, uh, I hate what Hamas has done. It's hateful. But I also am look at this, that some of the young people, I think, are maybe listening to both sides and understanding that Palestinians have been denied their basic human rights, uh, some of them. They live under some terrible conditions, and, and the world has ignored them. It's, it's almost like they're, you know, on the Second you know, Congo War, and so many times we just ignore the suffering of certain people. Uh, and it's, we look at that, they have their, you know they're not allowed. They're not allowed housing permits, and then they just have their houses. Uh, then Israel says, "Oh, you don't have a housing permit, so now we're
0: going to knock down even a little tent that you tried to erect." Yeah. Uh, Gail, you're kind of slipping into you're kind of slipping into talking points on me, but but let me just ask you this: if you if you believe that what the students are doing is simply looking at the claims of both sides, like uh, entertaining the the analysis of both sides. Are you still comfortable with them saying that they're okay with Hamas's response to that? Like that's Certainly the appropriate not, way to express that?
5: Yeah. No, I don't think that that's right. But
0: I do think. Yeah. That it's See, I, I think con- you're, but I think your what aboutism is a little off to, uh, off kilter here because what we're talking about is not uh, simply an act of war or one military. Uh, attempting to move a border or change the balance of power. This was a very deliberate, cowardly attack on children and babies and uh, people at a a music festival. If you're telling me that our young people have decided that could be okay if you've been oppressed, then I'm very worried about what they will decide to do about the people in this country, their fellow Americans, who they think are oppressing them as well, like maybe people that voted for Trump or people that support the Second Mm -hmm. Amendment. That's what I think people like you are missing, Gail.
5: Well, they have no army, and so their resistance has been mostly just staying put and continuing to eat dirt.
0: They have no army, Gail? Is that what you just said?
5: Yeah, they have no
0: army. The Hamas attack was not a paramilitary attack on civilians. You don't you didn't see that part.
5: They're a terrorist group. I'm saying they have they have no army to raise the Palestinians have uh-huh. no army. They're not even
0: allowed to have. They they militarily attacked with military grade weaponry and operations people who were at a music festival, uh, the, kids that were that were standing around listening to music. Are you seriously going to have this argument with me Gail cuz I don't think you can do it uh-huh <laughs> yeah in fact i know in okay. fact I, you know <laughs> what because i don't want to come across like an a-hole i'm not even gonna let you try you've mm-hmm. you've you've you fired your shot you've, you said your talking points Thank you. uh they're not Thank they're you. not comparable these are not comparable things uh and and i mean if 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 that poll had been about what should we do about palestine Or what should we do about the two-state solution? That's an entirely different conversation. That poll asked, I'm talking about the Harvard-Harris poll, that poll asked, now that we know what the terrorists did to men, women, and children, is it justifiable? And half of them said, yeah. That's not a two-state solution. Or we need to coexist, or there's been a history of unequal treatment. And my point is, if you can in this country, sitting in this country, you're not you're not sitting in Gaza. If you're sitting in this country, you're receiving these images, these stories, this information. And rather than be revulsed by it, you're saying, Well, I can see where that would be the right response. Then I'm warning my audience. And I'm serious. You need to be careful with people who see you as a colonialist, who see you as living on stolen land, who see you as not as having white privilege or you shouldn't own a gun or you shouldn't be driving a gasoline-powered car or you shouldn't vote the way you do or you shouldn't educate your children the way you do or you shouldn't worship the way you do. That's a concern. That's something you need to be aware of and if it is true if the poll is accurate i again i keep saying if 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 it's a fissure in our in our society that is as deep as any we've probably ever had i i hope it's not true i love debate and i love discussion you know that that's why i do this that's why we have this show that's why I, but i also know this and you you got to get up pretty early in the morning cuz i've been doing this a long time the left trains people to call conservative talk radio, and Gail had her talking points. she didn't know who she was talking to. Thank you for taking my call like that's generic boilerplate you know and and it was it's fine i I'm, I'm fine, I can handle it, but the whole well uh, they don 't get housing permits and they don't have water and they're prisoners and they've been ignored talking point, talking point talking point, talking point. B- bring them by all means. I mean, I, I actually work harder when it's like a, a giving and taking of ideas, and the person's thinking for themselves. But if you call me with talking points, those that's like underhand pitching to me. I can, I can warm up on that. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Alex is on the radio. Alex, good afternoon.
6: Good afternoon, Jack. I'd I'd love to be able to debate Gail. Okay because well no you right, wouldn't because it would
0: be over very it would be over very quickly <laughs> it
6: would be over very quickly because facts are facts okay we both know the history 1948 here's your territory and here's Israel's territory and we'll get along fine except that the arabs didn't want to do that they wanted to kill them and they've wanted to kill them ever since as as early as 2005 when israel said you know what here's gaza Take it. Leave us alone, okay? You can have it. You can have all the infrastructure we built in it, which was all of the plumbing that the Arabs dug up and made into weapons, into rockets and stuff like that. That's why they don't have any plumbing. As far as the permits for housing, that's not Israel's problem. It's not their territory anymore. They gave it to the Arabs. So I mean to- that's all
0: true, Alex, but I think that the part of this that 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 they really have the hardest time explaining is even if you want to say or your position is they got the dirty end of the stick uh these last seventy five years and they they uh they've they've been done wrong you're you're defending stuff that is like from a from a uh, from a horror movie you're you're defending stuff that is, um, you know, I, I know it's an overused adjective, but it's Nazi. You're going to seriously take the position that beheadings and burning people alive and killing those kids at the music concert is is a rational, um, strategic, uh, appropriate, response that's 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 what you want to that's where you want to make your stand i mean by all means make it with me i'm happy to have that um but that's the part that i think i mean yes you can alex is right about the history but but a lot of people are trying to say yeah but right now this is what they had to do well if you're telling me that this is what you have to do with your opposite number then I, I, being your opposite number i'm going to be on guard i'm never going to turn my back on you We're learning a lot about our fellow Americans, I think. This guy, Tom Emmer, from uh, Minnesota. He's a congressman from Minnesota. Kind of looks like an old game show host. I first saw pictures of him, I thought. Looks like he might have hosted um, Tic Tac Doe back in the day or something like that. I don't know, he just has that that vibe. But this was a guy who, um, he was already in house leadership, strike one. He is a quote-unquote moderate Republican from a, you know, obviously a blue state. uh, Strike two. I looked him up. I read his bio. He's one of these politicians that's just run for a lot of offices. In fact, you know how he got into the House. He got uh, Michelle Bachman's House seat. Remember Michelle Bachman? She was a uh, very conservative congresswoman and and then uh, ran for president. Was that like 2012 or 2016? So, anyway when she left congress he won her seat and he had run for governor and he had run for other things and had been unsuccessful and and got into this congressional seat and and was uh, going to be the speaker and and now isn't going to be the speaker uh, th- this has become i think now uh this is like an impossible they've made themselves an impossible situation you know um because now if you are um putting your name up okay what you're measured against is this: Can you get to 217? Well, I don't know about you, but I, if I'm like an up-and-coming member of Congress, like I'm some young stud that's you know seen as uh, a rising star, I, I'm not going anywhere near this because this is crazy. I, I'm going to keep my powder dry. I'm going to wait, wait for things to return to normal or calmer, or we get through the 2024 election or whatever. Probably the Republicans will lose the House. I'm sorry, but they probably will. And then, you know, I'll be I'll be in good shape the next time around. What I'm saying is nobody with any kind of political ambitions or future is likely to risk them in this food fight that the Republicans are having right now, and that's what it is. It, it's not about principle. I don't care how many times they come on and they say that. It's just not. Um, I, I, I will say Byron Donalds is still in there, and he seems like a serious up-and-coming uh, dude. But other than him, all the Tom Emmerts of the world are going to take a, a swing at this thing. And, and you know, it, it feels like a downgrade. Like, the first few names looked pretty decent. Now we're getting into names that are not inspiring or exciting. And I'm not even a Republican, so I can only imagine if you're a like a very card-carrying kind of Republican. This must just be making you crazy. Uh, 210-599-5555. Majority of young Americans believe Hamas terror attack is justified, says a poll done by Harvard Harris uh, recently. And uh, although polls have indicated upwards of 75 to 85% of Americans overall stand with Israel, in this poll... And it was, I think, 78% in this poll. But when they did it, when they broke it down by age, uh, 18 to 24-year-olds, 51% Hamas justified. Uh, 25 to 34, 48% justified. So about half. Um and that tells you a lot about how we are teaching or training younger people to view the um the concept of my opponent or the other side the the way that this hamas attack was carried out and hamas by the way isn't even palestinians it's it's imported mercenaries who are, uh, you know, guns for hire. A lot of these terrorists are paid very well for what they do. Don't think that they're burning with revolutionary fervor like they're some sort of Middle Eastern Che Guevara. Um, but they, the, um, the methodology, the nature of the attack, the brutality of it, the imaginative cruelty of it you know, they had that screening of um, footage, and this was body cameras that were taken off of terrorists who'd been killed. And the Israelis did a screening for the foreign press. And people who saw it said you can't, it, it defies description. There was a guy on, do we have the uh, clipped on, I don't remember the number, the guy that was on with Piers Morgan? This guy's a Dutch journalist, do you have that one? Yes. Yeah, let me play it. This is a guy, he says, I can't, they won't let me show you the, the footage, Piers, but here's what it looked like to me. Here I am describing it. Cut number five.
7: Um, I think the best way to describe it really is ISIS on steroids. Uh, the atrocities atrocities that we already know happened and that we've already seen evidence of by listening to eyewitnesses, seeing the scenes, were now shown to us on a screening. 45 minutes of unraw material, GoPro cameras, from Hamas terrorists, um, surveillance uh, photo from, from Kibbutzim, from small villages, all of it really, really showing exactly what happened. I'm not sure how graphic I can be, Piers, because I would like to explain what I saw, but I don't want to, uh, you know, scare people I think people you should off. just
8: tell me what you saw. I don't, I, I, honestly, we're called
7: uncensored for a reason.
8: I don't think this should be censored.
7: Absolutely, and I absolutely agree. So, first of all, I saw... A Hamas terrorist throwing a hand grenade into a bomb shelter uh, where a man, and a father with his two uh, sons, were high. he was hiding there. Then the father was killed instantly. The two children ran out, disillusioned, blood all over, running back to their home, screaming for their dad. The, the youngest boy, who was roughly seven, couldn't see anything. He said, I can't see. And in the meanwhile, the terrorist, who threw the grenade, went casually into the home, opened the fridge, took out a bottle of water and drank it and offered the kids some water, as if nothing had happened. That was just one scene. We also saw, of course, the beheadings. We saw uh, an Israeli soldier lying on the ground, beheaded, and terrorists uh, around him screaming Allah and uh, cheering. We saw Hamas terrorists on the streets systematically assassinating people in their cause executing them very very close in close range we saw pictures of uh, a burned um, child uh, burned beyond recognition you could all So all here's the point
0: if if people believe that this is justifiable when you have political differences or long standing uh, you know uh, injustices that is exactly the rhetoric that is used in our uh, schools and universities, to talk about things like we live on stolen land, and there's white privilege, and it, it, the nation was built on slavery. So you, you, you have to be careful, or maybe, maybe the point is you're not being careful at all, okay? <laughs> but I, I would just say it is very dangerous to take very young people who are starting out with a baseline of, I, I don't know anything, okay? I'm learning, I'm here to learn, you are teaching them that they are living in exactly the equation that the Palestinians live in. That, that, they, that they are the Palestinians of America. How does that not, in some instances, lead to people thinking, well, then I have to fight the way they fought, and I'm justified in doing what they did. I'm not saying everybody. I'm not saying everybody who hears this will respond that way. I'm, I'm, in fact, I'm quite sure most would not. But do you see the power of conflating those things? Which is what we're doing, which is why you can have people taking a survey and going, yeah, just, that's justified. That could be justified, what they did. 210 599 And, I mean, I... I um, I understand that there's a lot more to this. There's a, there's a long history with uh, the two states. There's a long history, you know, even even more than the two states. There's thousands of years of history. But you also have to know this. We know that, and we can intellectually say what we know about who's lived on that land and for how long and so forth. But what's happening right now is of this moment. It isn't. It isn't that people sat around and said, let me think about the last 3,000 years before I head out and do this. It's of this moment. And strings are being pulled, and uh, propaganda is being deployed in very sophisticated ways. Money is is flowing. You could ask yourself, for example, if, if life is so dire for the Palestinian people, where is the money coming from for all the weapons, all the rockets, all the... GoPro cameras, all this stuff. And you begin to realize that there are large, you know, major powers pulling strings, setting side against side, maybe even setting a trap for Israel. I don't know. But then you look back at this country and you go, well, if we're training young people that they have all these justifiable grievances and we're showing them ways to deal with or respond to those grievances it's very possible some of them will respond in these ways they're they're telling you it would be okay to do that as i mentioned earlier on friday san diego office of the border patrol put out an internal memo uh with some specific and alarming uh language about uh terrorist uh People on the terror watch list and people uh, affiliated with terrorist groups, including Hamas, uh, turning up on the southern border. If we're still doing the see something, say something mentality, it seems like you would tell the public, not just keep it internal. And our next guest is going to talk about this right now. Uh, State Representative Brian Harrison uh, is on our KTSA, Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line before being elected to the legislature. He served in the Trump administration as chief of staff for HHS and was involved in the creation of the Title 42 policy under President Trump. Uh, State Representative Brian Harrison, good afternoon.
9: Jack, uh, good afternoon. It's great to be with you.
0: Well, thank you for coming on with us. Now, look, I mean, it's this sounds like something that is an all-hands-on-deck, five-alarm kind of thing. The world is galvanized by what they're seeing in Israel. And um, we're finding people from these same groups in exponentially higher numbers than we ever have on our southern border.
9: It's absolutely true. I mean, it's an existential crisis. It's not just an economic and humanitarian and public health disaster on our border. It's a national security threat. And it's not the type of national security threat that the United States government is just having to respond to that was, you know, hoisted upon America. This is a national security threat that was created intentionally by the Biden administration. Look, when when we left office in the Trump administration on the noon on January 20th, 2021, we left Joe Biden the most secure border in American history. And look at what he's done to it. He campaigned on open borders. He's delivering open borders. Texans are paying the price. And quite frankly, Every American, whether you live in Texas or not, look, we're the first impacted, we're the most impacted by this disaster on the border. But given that the eyes of the world are now refocused on the threats of terrorism, given what's going on in Israel right now, it would be foolish, given the kind of numbers that Joe Biden is allowing to illegally enter our country, um, from Iran, 659 on the you know, special interest alien watch list, 123 from Iraq, 185 from Jordan, 100, 1,600 from Pakistan. Over 150 people on the terror watch list that we know about have recently attempted to illegally or actually uh, uh, illegally cross our border, and this is thanks completely – to Joe Biden, here in Texas, we're trying to step up. We're trying to do more uh, to solve the Biden border crisis. But to show you how backwards the president's priorities are on this, he now has his law enforcement agents and his Justice Department doing more to disrupt the law enforcement activities that mm-hmm. our brave Texas troopers and, and state guard are doing on the border than he is to disrupt the drug mm-hmm. cartels, the human traffickers, and the potential terrorists crossing our border.
0: Yeah. no. Americans are fighting with Americans about what to do about our border. Um, What more is there available, uh, given that we're not going to see a a, a response or a U-turn from Washington? They're only going to double down. Uh, What more can the state do?
9: Well, I actually think there's more the state can do. And and you mentioned Title 42. Look, look, if Joe Biden had just done nothing, our border would still be secure. The Trump administration was building the wall. We had the Remain in Mexico policy. And then my agency, HHF, put the Title 42 rule in place. I filed bold legislation here in the Texas legislature drawing upon that experience, trying to recreate what we were doing with Title 42. I call it the Texas Title 42 Act. I firmly believe that both our national and our state constituents institutions, allow states to control their borders, and in particular to repel invasions. And if you think 300,000 illegal border crossings a month is not an invasion, I I don't know what else it would be. So we're going to be, we're here in special session right now. We're going to be debating some border bills uh, tomorrow. And I I think that in addition to increasing barricades, we've got to authorize our law enforcement to do what Joe Biden won't, stop illegal crossers from crossing in the first place, and if they do cross, since Joe Biden won't do it, I think the state of Texas needs to uh, immediately uh, deport illegal aliens, just like we were doing during the Trump administration, but on a state level.
0: Is it it safe to say, because we all heard the president the other night say that he was going to call for more aid for Israel, Ukraine, and the border... But when they talk about aid for the border, when they talk about money for the border, basically, they're talking about processing money. They're not talking about prevention money.
9: Yeah, that's that's exactly right. He's playing a word game. He wants to say, you know, he wants to spend, by the way, we're $30 trillion in debt, so this is money we don't have. But he wants to spend more on the border. What he's not telling you is he just wants these billions of dollars to run the largest-scale catch-and-release operation in the history of the united states um because what they're doing the border and, and, the, and the word has gotten out it's the reason that the coyotes and the human smugglers are able to get recruit people uh, vulnerable people men women children to make treacherous journeys and pay tens of thousands of dollars to the car, to the coyotes to make the journeys because they know and they can say with a straight face if i get you to that border joe biden will let you in and when the when the people cross illegally. You would think they run from Border Patrol, but they don't because they know that Joe Biden's policies of open borders rule the day. So when they cross the border, they actually seek out our CBP officers because they know they're going to be taken to a processing center. They're going to be given what's called a notice to appear, which is just a date, a court date. They never show up for them. I call them notice to disappears and they will be released into the interior of the United States. And just last month alone, we had approximately 300,000 people that we know about do that. We had over 18,000 Godaways just in the first half of this month. So every three months, we have the equivalent of the 10th largest American city illegally crossing mm. our borders. This is mm.
0: sustainable. State Representative Brian Harrison uh, with us. Uh, Representative, thank you for the time. I hope we can call on you again. Uh, we're going to continue to follow this and follow you very closely. Thank you.
9: Now, great being with, being with you, and thank you for shining a spotlight on this national security threat that President Biden has uh, created. Have a great
0: rest of your day. You as well, State Representative Brian Harrison, on the KTSa Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line. But look, it's uh, it's that time of year when I get personal, and you know what's coming, and I I hope you'll bear with me, but this is this is very, very, really, very important to me, and. I know it's become it's become important to a lot of you. Um and It's our wrapping with Jack event for Family Service Association, and yeah, it's that time of year. Believe it or not, we're already uh, starting to work on it and asking you to help us. Um So, Family Service Association works with hundreds of families in San Antonio that have been through various tough happenings and circumstances and you can imagine right with this year of inflation and stuff but um they work with them all year round so they know these families they know who you know the ages of the kids and how many family members and that's why when we talk about making christmas happen for them it is different than a lot of other charities that people apply to and put their kids names on and it's for toys and and that stuff's all great i'm not running that down you should support them too but this is about supporting families And making sure that on Christmas Day, despite having a tough year and maybe not having everything they need, each family member, this is my goal, each family member will have a gift to unwrap with their name on it. And that's where you come in. You go to KTSA.com. And you can donate money, which Family Service Association will spend 100% of on those gift items. And they're, they're basics. You can see the list of what they're going to buy there. Or you can shop yourself and drop with our sponsors. You can even buy with an online list. There's like an Amazon wish list there at KTSA.com. But all the all the information and, and the different ways of helping and if you just want to give money, that's all there on the Wrapping with Jack page. Just go to KTSA.com, look for the Wrapping with Jack logo. Uh, It's presented by Quarter Moon Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning, along with River City Oral Surgery, Institute for Functional Health, and Copenhagen Imports. Uh, Here's a story that you're going to have to blink or (laughs) hear twice or whatever. Uh, They have announced that the Grand Marshal for the Orlando Pride Parade will be the youngest one they've ever had. A transgender-identifying 11-year-old, a boy identifying as a girl—I'm not kidding—is going to be the grand marshal of the parade. Dempsey Jera. Now, weren't we just told yesterday that trans people are are being assassinated or harassed? What was that? What was that? Uh, that clip that we played—I I was driven out of my home and. Um, I'm not safe anywhere, and it's like living in Gaza. Why would you put an 11-year-old in a pride parade if that was in fact the case? So we really have, there's like a a hole in the time-space continuum right now. I don't don't know, we're we're living in very strange times. I feel like our philosophy on this show is we, we confront it, we talk about it, we put it out in the open, because I think we need to, that's how we get through this, you know, hiding from it. Denying that it's happening is not going to get us through it. We got to, we got to confront it. You just cannot make up stuff like this. And there's a whole article I read about this family and how the mother decided that Dempsey was trans uh, because when he was very young he liked uh, playing with dolls and stuff like that. I, I've I, almost every almost every little boy goes through that. I don't know why there are certain parents that. That see that and like, aha! This is totally normal. Eleven years old. Um, we've talked about Moms for Liberty before. Uh, Moms for Liberty is a group that really became prominent in the last couple of years. I don't know how old they are, but I've known about them for a couple of years. And they're 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 you know their parents, and they're basically a parents' rights advocacy group. They're volunteers. Uh, they became very prominent during COVID. Uh, They were trying to get our kids uh, back into the schools uh, to not have them masked up. Uh, They've also been very active on the idea of pushing the trans and uh, LGBT agenda in the schools. And I want to share with you, this is an article from Hartford, Connecticut, about a Moms for Liberty meeting so again, these are people that think like you and I think, but they're terrorists, according to the Southern Poverty Law Center and the Biden Justice Department. Uh, and the Hartford Current did a story. There's just no place for bigotry here, is the headline. Parents, advocates protest Moms for Liberty meeting in Connecticut. Shouldn't the story be that there was a meeting, not that there was a protest? Anyway. Um, The Parents' Rights Group, which often works to ban LGBTQ books and keep critical race theory out of the classroom, has been growing rapidly in influence in conservative circles and the National Republican Party. The organization says its mission is to organize, educate, and empower parents to defend their parental rights at all levels of government. You know, I'm old enough to remember when parents of all political stripes believed in their rights and wanted the government to stay out of their parenting. That's now become a, a fringe idea apparently. On Saturday many local parents came out to protest the meeting and were shocked that the group was gathering in Avon, Avon, Connecticut. Amber Page Gare said when you read about things like Moms for Liberty you think more about red states, not in your backyard. She said her nine-year-old son who is on the autism spectrum has been worried that his favorite books will be banned. Well you know, if a nine-year-old boy is afraid of having his books banned, that's probably because an adult in his life has put that idea in his head. I mean, where 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 would the nine-year-old get that idea? So I'm not sympathetic to this mother because if you're scaring your kids about people you disagree with and then you think it's a thing that they're scared, that's on you. You did that. Dana Barcelos Allen said she and her wife Carrie Barcelos Allen are worried their four-year-old son Cooper will grow up without books that reflect his own family. I am a newish parent, and he loves books, and he has a two-mom family, said Dana Barcelos Allen. We're talking about books that would really impact my son's family, my son's perception, and I don't want my son to be affected because he has a different kind of family. I think most families are different nowadays, she says. What is it with these people? When you are arguing that books about children and blowjobs and sex transitions, when you're saying, hey, I don't think these should be in the classroom or I don't think these should be in the school library, you are not banning them. You are not saying no one should be able to read them. You're just saying, why does my kid have to be exposed to them? If you want your kid, if you want your four-year-old, that's fine. I mean it's not fine but it's your choice. What we're arguing, I've just made myself a member of Moms for Liberty. Um <laughs> what we're arguing is it shouldn't be it shouldn't be thrust on everybody. And what you're arguing is that if the book can't be in the school then that's the equivalent of us gathering them all up and setting them on fire. The whole article reads like this. We moved to Avon because it was a loving, accepting place, she said. He loves his mommies and our friends and our community love us and our family, and I don't want to see that jeopardized. I want there to be a conversation with love and kindness and inclusion as opposed to anything that involves shame, which I guess is why she's holding a sign (laughs) shaming people that are going into the Moms for Liberty meeting. Holding a sign saying, not here in Avon. Natalie Cazo said, I'm tired of hate messages. (laughs) These people are unbelievable. I have two gay children, and I want to be able to choose what I teach my kids. I don't want other people to tell me how I can and cannot parent. That's what we're saying. That's what we're saying. This is a fabulous school system, but there's no place for bigotry here. Um, she says she has three kids, but two of them are gay. What? what how did she go wrong with the other one, I wonder? He must be a disappointment. Russell Cottle has a 16-month-old daughter, stood outside the Avon Senior Center on Saturday holding a tall sign that read in bold letters, hate group meeting here today. This feels so close to home and feels really scary, he said. Why are the people that are intimidating people from going to the meeting talking about how scared they are? They're trying to punk and and block and intimidate people from going into a meeting. What can be more American than that? Um, He wants people to know Moms for Liberty is a very friendly or patriotic slogan or name. Somebody may stumble on it and not know what it is, but the group is known to be anti-LGBTQ and divisive. And he wants to live in a community that supports and celebrates everyone, except Moms for Liberty, apparently. I mean, the whole thing is, basically, we don't want them. We're not tolerating them. We will not have them. They cannot be here. They should not be here. That's a very interesting look for a movement that always used to be about, hey, we belong, and we're part of it, and we want to be included, and we don't want our kids ostracized. And so I guess we've... I guess having exhausted that line of thinking this is sort of like the the tyranny of the new majority right like well now that we're the majority in our town we're going to start picking and choosing the groups that we want to exclude uh and and shame on the hartford current and any news organization that writes an article like this i mean this this thing is a long screed one sided um even the headline you know There's no place for bigotry here. (laughs) Uh, I I have to say, um, it's very simple. I I love books. I love reading. I'm excited when kids read. Period. Full stop. Your kid's ability to read books, own books, possess books, should be unmolested, untouched. That does not mean that every book Belongs in every place, every school, every school library. And just as you are asserting your right to raise your kids, I have that right too. These moms have that right too. It is not a greater good that people who don't want their kid to see pictures of penises or oral sex or whatever, it it is not a greater good that you are forcing that on their kids or their families. Like, that's not a victory. might feel like one, but you need to look at the mirror and look at yourself. Take a really hard look at your soul. If you think that the way you win as a gay family is by forcing straight families to read your books or see your things or be around your, that that is a very bizarre measuring stick of success, I think. We've played Douglas Murray on the show before, really like this guy, just love the way he thinks. He was doing an interview, and he was asked the question about um, whether uh, the Israeli response to Hamas would or should be proportionate. And he really went off on that word, and I think for good reason. I think you're going to like this. Cut number one.
8: There is some deep perversion in britain whenever israel is involved in a conflict and it is the word you just used proportion proportionate proportionality only britain is really obsessed with this i've heard it for the last few days incessantly proportionality in conflict rarely exists but if we were to decide that we should have this fetish about proportionality then that would mean that in retaliation for what Hamas did in Israel on Saturday, Israel should try to locate a music festival in Gaza, for instance, and good luck with that, should try to find a music festival in Gaza and rape precisely the number of women that Hamas raped on Saturday. Kill precisely the number of young people that Hamas killed on Saturday. They should find a town uh, of exactly the same size as a town like Sterot, where I've been many times myself, and make sure they go to door to door and kill precisely the correct number of babies that Hamas killed in Sterot on Saturday, and shoot in the head precisely the same number of old-age pensioners as were shot in Sterot on Saturday, just to choose one town. Proportionality in conflict is a joke, and it's a very strange British concept which we've had, that only the Israelis in a conflict, when they are attacked, are expected to have precisely the proportionate response. Yeah, it's a
0: great answer. And I, I don't think it's I think it's only the Brits. Uh, th- there are a lot of people that, that are kind of hung up on that right now. And also, I was just thinking, he, I mean, he's way smarter than me, but I was also going to maybe just chime in and say, well, it, it, also when you look at war, typically when country B responds to country A's attack, it's not based on proportionality, it's like we're gonna see you and raise you. That's just the way responses to attacks go. It's it's supposed to be worse than the attack. That's to prevent or you know inhibit future attacks. Just adding that in, but Douglas Murray's answer was superb. Have you heard the uh, story today about the Alaskan Airlines pilot who we're told, made an attempt to shut down the engines of one of their uh, planes. This was a Washington to, Washington to San Francisco flight. This was over the weekend. Um, he was off duty, and he was riding in the cockpit jump seat, 44-year-old Joseph Emerson, leapt for the controls, attempting to shut down the engines and attempting to activate the fire suppression system on the plane, a move which would have cut off fuel to the engines, it took the captain and first officer to restrain Emerson and then make an emergency landing in Portland, and only then were the passengers, the 83 passengers and crew, uh, informed as to what happened, the flight attendant got on the speaker and said, plain and simple, he had a mental breakdown. We needed to get him off the plane immediately, passenger Aubrey Gavello told ABC News. He, uh, they interviewed people in his, he lived near San Francisco. They interviewed people in his neighborhood, devoted dad, great neighbor, uh, has a son with special needs. We, No one can believe this happened crazy. I, am. Um, I've often thought I'm not a real nervous flyer. Um, you know, I mean, some people I know like have to take a pill or something to fly. I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty chill about flying. I read, I, I don't think about like I'm up in the air and something could happen to the plane. I'm really just in my book and I'm not paying attention. But anyhow, um, when I do think about flying or the risks of it, I don't know about you, but the way I look at it is, it seems like we've not perfected, but it seems like there's a lot more. Um, how, am I, how am I trying to say this? It seems like they've gotten a lot better at at sort of the equipment. Like when I was a kid, you'd hear about plane crashes and it'd be equipment failure and you know engine failure and flap failure, and there were all these accidents involving like uh, you know something went wrong with the plane and the plane went down. I feel like we've gotten past that, and especially since 9-11, these planes are scrutinized and, and checklisted. And But at the same time that maybe the the technology has gotten better or more reliable or whatever, the human element is now what I would be more worried about. Like now I would be more apt to think of what this guy did. Or, uh, you know, we, we've had a couple, haven't there been a couple of incidents where pilots have intentionally crashed their own planes? I think that's... That's actually happened, right? so it's it's weird the way the lines have crossed the the- the equipment is more of a sure thing, and the human element is maybe less of a sure thing. You're hearing now about like pilots that are intoxicated or stuff like that anyway very strange uh there's a book I've been reading by a guy named peter zihan um and it's a book called Uh The End of the World Is Just the Beginning. And it's not as dire a book as it sounds. Um I mean clearly it's not a joke book, but it's it's not as it's not what he's what he's writing about in a nutshell is he's saying that the last seventy five years or so, roughly, so the post World War II era till about now are going to turn out to be the best years we've ever seen, that this is the peak of human achievement and efficiency and technological breakthroughs that never in human history have things been made more accessible, affordable, more cheaply, more uh, ubiquitous. The technology has never moved more quickly and, and improved lives. We've, we're have we managing to feed people, house people, clothe people at a rate never before done. I, I'm sure he's right about that. But what he says then is, and that is over. That we are, um, we're drawing, that era is drawing to a close, that nothing good lasts forever, and the, the 75 or so years is over. And what's interesting is why he says that. And he says it's because globalization is over. Now you hear a lot about globalization and usually when people talk about it, they're warning you about it. It's a bad thing, there's too much of it. But what he's talking about is after World War II, and we've talked about this on the show before, so forgive me if you've heard me say this, but I just want to quickly recap it. After World War II, the United States is the, is the only surviving superpower. The old powers are shattered and broken and on their backs like Britain. Uh, the Soviet Union is has sustained grievous losses. Only the United States is relatively unscathed. Proportionately speaking, our losses are much lighter because we've built up all this industry. We're now supplying the world with everything. And so we're, we're in such a powerful position at the end of World War II that there is this visionary decision made or series of decisions to not scare the rest of the world with how powerful we are. In other words, the United States led by Harry Truman and really a bipartisan foreign policy consensus, the United States forms the United Nations, signs a bunch of treaties, basically demotes itself vis-a-vis even our former enemies, like we, we intentionally build up Japan and Germany so that they can recover faster and better than they would otherwise. And the idea is that we can have peace if the world is not fearful that the victor will take advantage. And this is one of the things that Trump ran on. Because his point, not that he said it literally this way, but his point was that was fine back then, but we shouldn't be negotiating trade deals and dealing with other countries, NATO, the UN, that way now. Because those countries have completely recovered. And they should be shouldering their share of the burdens and their defense and what have you. So, anyway. What Zyhan is writing about is that the period of time ushered in by that decision, and under those conditions, is about over. And it's interesting, today is UN Day. And it's supposed to be a day that the world commemorates the founding of the UN, and honors it, and celebrates it. And I'm so old, I remember when I was a kid, we were still talking about the UN, and the most idealistic and glowing terms. And we would bring home these little um, UNICEF collection boxes. Do you remember those? They were those little orange and blue cardboard boxes. They were flat, and you had to fold them up into a box. And then we would go around in our neighborhood. I swear to God, I did this. And if you're over a certain age, you did too. And we would collect for UNICEF. And we would feed starving people, we, we thought. And what Zihan is writing about is that was a mindset, that was an attitude, that was, that was then, and that's over. And it's over for a lot of reasons. And you might be glad it's over or sad it's over or some of both, but it's over. And he says, what's going to come next, he predicts. And he could be right and he could be wrong, but he's, he's a pretty smart guy. He says, we're going to go through a period now where local will be everything. So nations will have to will have to do for themselves. You want energy, you will have to generate your own. You want food, you will have to grow your own. You want drugs, you'll have to produce, manufacture your own. We will not have globe-spanning supply chains. We will not put ourselves in or be in the position of dependency on other countries. We still are now. But he says what's coming next is the opposite of all that. The 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 reaction to all that. Do you, do you agree with him? I don't know. I'm still reading the book, and I find it persuasive, but my jury is out. Um, I do think, though, that that is not a bad thing to get ready for. Like, I'm looking for politicians and political leaders who understand the importance of the United States mm-hmm. as much as possible producing its own energy, producing its own pharmaceuticals, producing its own supplies, growing its own food. I'm not saying that I want to be an isolationist. I'm just saying that I think a, a healthy way of looking at what's happening right now is saying, well, just in case, I want to depend on me. And it's kind of like, it, not to the extent of the preppers or the people that go off the grid but it's that kind of thinking right like you you might be you might not be a prepper but maybe you have a generator outside your house or you have a 3 month supply of canned food or you have you know i don't know maybe you keep cash in your home or whatever it is just that the idea that i'm not i'm not assuming everything will go to hell but i'd like to be ready if it does and and I think we need to look for leaders and leadership that is mindful of that. And so if you are listening to a political candidate or politician still extolling the virtues of we're all in this together, and we have to be part of the international community, and remember when Biden got in, he said America is back, which by the way, looks kind of like a laugh line now. Um, I would just say, that, and Peter Zaham would say, well, no, the opposite is true. That's, that's where we were. That's not where we're going. Anyway, it's an interesting thought. 210 uh, 599 We're asking you, well, what do you think about the U.N. on today's JR poll? We can talk about that if you want today. Uh, 210-599-5555. Uh, Jim is on the Jack Riccardi Show on KTSA. Jim, good afternoon.
4: Hey, Jack. It's Jim. How are you doing?
0: I'm good, Jim. How are you?
4: Uh, pretty good. Hey, uh, my uh, cousin flies for uh, Alaska. I'm a professional airline pilot as well. One of the top three, I'll just say that. Um, we have some information. I did get some information that's probably come out anyway. Um, he knew him, and everybody thought he was a great guy. He's, In fact, he's a captain in the 737, so it seems uh, kind of odd that he uh, would pull the handles like that, but the uh, the two pilots there were pretty quick putting them back in.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: That does p- shut off the fuel and the hydraulics when you pull those mm-hmm. handles. Mm-hmm. So, fortunately he didn't swing them, and so the halon bottles did not fire into the engine themselves. That would have been bad.
0: Yeah. Now, if that had happened, so, would that have been irreversible?
4: Um, firing the halon bottles would have been irreversible. That just would extinguish any kind of flame in there. But they could still put the handles back down, and that would open the hydraulics and the fuel control unit. So
0: you could, you could you so could light them back up again. Y- y- you yeah. know if yeah okay.
4: Uh, I yeah, mean, they were quick enough that they
1: that yeah.
0: the
4: fuel valve shut. It was kind of like you right. you pop the clutch or you turned off the key on the on the car, gotcha. but it's still okay. rolling down the highway, and you turn it back right. on. So it's like right. yeah. So that would have been like, holy cow, now I get a yeah. new checklist. It's like, decent check, uh, jump seat or secure, duct tape and mouth. Oh okay, we're good. You yeah. have to carry a straight jacket with me from now on.
0: And I don't know. I mean, we've <laughs> talked about this before. It's hard to know if this applies to a lot of things in life. Do more things like mm-hmm. this happen than they used to, or do we just have more of a instant awareness of them than we used to? You know what I mean?
4: that's that's a good point i think that we have there's a lot of things that happened when my dad was he's a, he was a pilot too and so kind of the things that i'd learned would be he'd come back and go hey we had this happen it's like never saw it in the news but right, i think right. you're right it's just now you've got in fact there was somebody on the airplane who was connected to the wi-fi that's another technique i think when i have an emergency i'm gonna turn off the wi-fi because his sister was in aviation and she was texting him going hey uh, listen to this and they sent the yeah. tapes They she's monitoring the ATC, the air traffic control, sent the tapes. So, I mean, it was actually live and they went on to a site called flight radar 24. You can track mm-hmm. the flight. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. it's, it's showing you coming back to, Hey, we're going to land in Portland or, you know, they're going to divert. It's like, Oh,
0: right. Well, why are you right. diverting? Yeah. I mean, all, as you say, You're all like- of this stuff is now accessible instantly, uh, we mm-hmm. disseminate news more quickly. Uh, what would have been maybe just a local story about a plane making an emergency landing becomes a national uh, story. Yeah, no, that's that's really interesting information, Jim. Thank you for that.
4: Yeah. You bet. Hey, my wife uh, says hello. She listens to you every day.
0: Oh, I appreciate that. Say hi back for me. I appreciate both I of will. you. I will. 210 599 5555. Sounds like a nice guy. Maybe I'll fly Alaska Airlines someday and I'll have Jim as my pilot. Um you know what? Question came up a lot um, after October seventh was uh, about American Jews supporting the Democratic Party. Like, why? And and this has come up a gazillion times. I mean, we were talking about this when President Obama was in office. You know, why is it that we we know the tradition, we know the history that the Democrats and and Jewish voters go back a long way, and it has some things to do with immigration and unions and FDR and um, so forth. But there's been such a a long series of policies and really, um, I would say insults from particularly the Obama and Biden administrations that people would ask, and I don't think in a in a in a mean way, but more like in a bewildered way, like wh- why are Jewish voters overwhelmingly voting Democratic? Well, David Mamet, the playwright, wrote about this uh, the other day, like a like a Reddit piece, and his take on it was interesting. He he first of all, um, he he is a real student of the Jewish experience in America. He's a very interesting guy, very well read, very well rounded. And he, of course, he's featured it in a lot of his own work. And one of the things he says is that although Jews have always voted for the Democrats, for most of the time they've done so, it really didn't make sense. That FDR wasn't really their champion. Um, his restrictive immigration policies uh, relegated a lot of. Uh European Jews to the holocaust he was not he was not swinging the gate open uh even when he knew it needed to be um, He says that um a lot of presidents have aided israel's enemies, like we 're talking about all the aid to Iran now uh that a lot of presidents, including Obama and Biden, have really been pretty dismissive of Israeli prime ministers basically you know you can wait <laughs> wait in the outer office he says and so he says it's it's mostly um habit i'm 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 paraphrasing cuz he wrote a very long thoughtful piece and i'm not doing it justice but he says basically um since the formation of israel the habits are the thing uh it might not be logical that they support democrats but it's their habit it's what they're used to and um, I think he's right. We've talked many times, I think, about different groups that are in the Democratic Party base, and does it make sense for them to to be there? And I think what you come back to over and over again is, well, it's it's habit. You know, you a lot of people vote the way their parents voted. They don't really take it out and examine it and review it and say, well, should I still be doing this? I mean, we do that with a lot of things, right? A, a lot of us whether it's your marriage or the way you raise your kids you you just sort of unconsciously do what you saw or what was done to you and it may not be the right thing or it may be a great thing but it's what you do and the other thing i would add to what he said which is all great uh but i would also add i i think people um people move or realign very slowly politically like i i i've in the years i've been doing this I've been amazed by the fact that you can can form an opinion about a news event in two seconds. You can react to something. If news broke right now, something really dramatic and heavy, you would know how you felt about it very quickly. You would have a take on it. You might start talking about it in your family or at home or with your coworkers. You might call this show. But then that's reacting to events. Realigning politically is really slow. It takes people a long time. That's why when there is a realignment, like the so-called Reagan Democrats of the 1980s, it's a big deal because it's rare and it takes a long time. And the thing about Reagan was it was his personality that made it possible. He joked about it. He had even been a Democrat himself at one point for a long time. So I think you need a personality or a vessel, right? And then it just takes a long time. So American Jews may eventually leave the Democratic Party that I think has betrayed them and betrayed Israel numerous times and with increasing frequency. But it's just it's going to take a while. It, it is slow because these things are Are always slow and you know we don't have a lot of political parties in this country we have one other major political party and maybe the Republican Party is not that appealing to people I mean I I know this comes as a shock but not everybody when they get disillusioned with their political party joins the other one A, a lot of people don't feel the need to be aligned they just stop voting the Republican Party itself might be better on certain things vis-a-vis Israel but they're not great. They're not perfect. So, I think that's what's happening and 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 I think it applies to a lot of voters in our country. You when you scratch your head and you go, "Why do people do what they do or why do they keep doing what they're doing? It's not good for them. It's a, it goes against their interests. It goes against their values. How is it that they stay with politicians that are clearly betraying them or or countering them or even uh hurting them uh i i i think the simple answer is it just takes a long time All right, let's have a look at what is on the Jack chat line right now at 210-599-5550. Let's check it out.
1: Hey, Jack, this is Alan from Spring Branch. There's this column calling to let you know that uh, I'm just so tired of our media, if that's what you call it. Like, I've been watching this thing about Israel since the 7th. Today's the, uh, and I don't know if you know this or not, but the uh, Israeli ground invasion is imminent. I'm just curious what they think of the word imminent. means. It's been uh, <laughs> yeah. over two weeks, and every day it's imminent. Imminent. Like They just sit there, and they uh, repeat things. And, like, you know, the whole Joe Biden thing, when he goes up the plane, and he says, uh, they ask him the question about, are you trying to delay the uh, Israelis from going in? And he says, uh, yes. And then the White House puts out a statement that says, you no, know, he just didn't hear him. Well, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But is that really uh, breaking news, like, you know, six six times a day, every day for the next 10 weeks. I mean, can't we just report it once and then be done with it? There's only a couple of people in this country I felt like have any type of news broadcasting. Tucker Carlson was one of them. Uh, Rush Limbaugh was one of them. And I feel like your show was one of them. And it's just so frustrating that there's no place you can go get anything new, anything interesting. And then the other thing was all these talk shows. The people at the seven o'clock hour Their guests are the people from the 5 o'clock hour. The people at the Mm. 9 o'clock hour, their guests are the people from the 7 o'clock hour. Why don't you bring on someone from the State Department or someone from the Biden Administrative Department? Anyway, sorry for ranting. You're doing a great job. You should go national.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Ellen. I appreciate it. Um, Yeah, I I, I agree. I, I, I think one of the biggest revelations when you start following news uh, or you follow news is how little news there is. Like, we have a 24 hour news culture or cycle or whatever. Um, but it's not, it's, it's really a couple of hours repeated. And, um, Part of that is probably, I don't want to get in the weeds here. I mean, part of that is probably like budget cuts and stuff. Like back when they started CNN, they had all these foreign desks and bureaus and they were, you know, cartwheeling around the world. Let's check in with, with, you know, Moscow and let's check in with Beijing and let's check in with New Delhi. And and then I think as time went on and they, they reduced their staff and they reduced their bureaus and they pulled in. They found that it was cheaper to just cycle through and repeat, and then a lot of what drives news channels, all of them, not just CNN, is really these panels, right? These four-way screens and six-way screens, and so what's taken the place of reporting news, which is, hey, I didn't know that, or that just happened, now it's a lot of analysis and opining, and yeah, of course I'm a hypocrite cuz that's what i do but i'm not i'm not passing this off as a news broadcaster or a news channel i'm 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 doing an opinion show so i'm being upfront about that but but a lot, i think a lot of what's labeled as news now is is just reheated too many times and maybe analyzed a little too much and um yeah it leaves you wanting it le- you 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 want to be well informed but you feel like instead you just get kind of um I don't know. You, you you get everything repeated, and everybody does it. It's not just one or two. And a um, l- lot of reasons why. But if you're old enough to remember, it, there was a time when it it seemed as if you if you watched like again, I'm gonna, I'm going to say CNN because it's the oldest one. If you watched CNN, that made you a smart, well-informed person. You know, it was like, oh, this guy watches CNN. You know. He really knows what's going on. That would be a punchline if you said it now. <laughs> All right, back to the Jack chat line. Hi, Jack. This is Jim from Virginia
6: Beach, Virginia. I was thinking, the when Russia invaded Ukraine, they were lined up for months on the border and finally did it. And this country has nothing, nobody's in this country ever expressed support for Russia. And I agree, I don't express support for Russia. I think what they're doing is terrible. But when the uh, Hamas from Gaza launches a total surprise attack and kills over a thousand Israelis, and there is so much support for what they did, I just do not... That's another part of this. I just cannot understand it, cannot... Believe that people could be behind uh, an organization, a group that would do something like this. There is no. How are they justifying murdering mm. so many innocent people? Thank yeah.
0: you. I read some of this earlier. Thank you, thank you, Jim. Um, this is from John Hayward, who is one of the smartest people I know, and you can read him a lot. At he blogs a lot at uh, Powerline Blog, but uh, probably other places too. That's where I see him. But this is from his ex feed. Um, I'm just gonna read a little bit of this from John Hayward because it's it's so good. And it answers Jim's question. Uh, remember, he writes, modern liberalism is entirely punitive. Leftists take vicious glee in punishing those they judge guilty of privilege, racism, oppression, colonialism, etc. They're not focused on building things or helping anyone. Uh, So that's why they see kindred spirits in Hamas, to answer Jim's question. Leftism paints a veneer of intellectual sophistication and morality over the most brutish human impulses, urges to coerce and destroy. It's no surprise that the first thing the leftists did for their pals in Hamas was tear down posters of kidnapped victims. Quick and easy destruction, he writes. Left-wing censorship, speech controls, cancel culture are all expressions of of the urges to coerce and destroy. They derive primitive joy from coercing obedience and silencing dissent. It is the destruction of knowledge, of language, of dissident thought. Now, obviously everything you say in that vein is a generalization, but I think it's a pretty good generalization. And um, if you think about it, you can apply what John is writing about to the period of COVID, or the riots and demonstrations over George Floyd in 2020 or the election it's this um not it, it, it's it's taking disagreement to the you know militarized level and that's why I think a lot of us worry about these attitudes on college campuses because we don't just think these are young people who have maybe gotten out over their skis on the world situation, which is something we would have seen before. Like back in the 1930s, a lot of our best and brightest young people uh, took a very jaundiced view of of fighting Hitler or standing up to him. Their attitude was, we're not going to get fooled again like our predecessors were in the First World War, and you're just going to grind us up. We're not doing that. We're not going over to Europe. We're not fighting another European war. But eventually they realized it wasn't another European war. It was something else. It was something bigger. It, it was something that mattered to us, to, to everyone. And that became the greatest generation. But again, if you had, if you had surveyed the quote-unquote greatest generation a few years before they did the things that earned them that nickname, they looked like a bunch of people that were not going to get into that fight. That's, that's the whole idea of the movie Casablanca. The, the Humphrey Bogart character represents that. Oh, come on, not another war. Please give me a break, you know. But then by the end of the movie, he's, he's fighting the fight. In this case, what John Hayward is writing about is that we've got a different kind of academia and a different kind of upbringing for young people. And they're probably not going to suddenly be like, you know, Rick Blaine and go, oh, wait a minute, I do need to get into this fight or wait a minute, this does matter to me and to people I love and to things I care about. In fact, the training we're giving young people today, again, I'm generalizing, uh, is that people that disagree with you are acting violently towards you. So if they don't accept your climate position, if they don't accept your uh, position on gender, they are a deadly enemy. And you should strike out at them because they represent violence and danger. Of course, that's absurd. But if you believe that and you're telling pollsters, yeah, I think what Hamas did is justifiable, then that doesn't bode well for our future. That 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 worries me. I, I hope I'm wrong about that. I hope we're we're gonna see history repeat itself, that whole nineteen thirties thing. But um I'm a little concerned, and John Hayward is too. A lot of people are. On the JR Poll, powered by River City Oral Surgery, do we still need the U.N.? Today is U.N. Day, United Nations Day. Do we still need a U.N.? 89% said no, and 11% said yes. And we'll have a new JR Poll question uh, when we get started at 4 tomorrow or find it anytime at KTSA.com. Speaking of the world, a woman in Australia... Annie Knight says she had sex with more than 300 people in one year. I don't know if that's, not sure if that's a record or just a lot of people, but she calls herself Australia's most sexually active woman. Which must make her family very proud. (laughs) And what does your daughter do? Well, 26-year-old Knight told uh, a radio show recently She had sex with more than 300 people in a year. That's 300 different people. And uh, she has had as many as five sex partners in one night over the course of that year. I feel empowered afterward, she declared. Sex makes me feel good. It's meant to make you feel good. Uh, She told the radio program she meets most of her sex partners on dating apps, but she has a roster of regulars. On speed dial that she calls up whenever she feels like it. Nothing is off limits, she says in the bedroom, I'm down to try anything. Three hundred. I, I mean I can't help but do the mat that's that's almost one a day. Every day. Weekdays, weekends.
4: It's a lot of oysters.
0: That's a lot of oysters, <laughs> thank you. A lot of, A lot of making the bed, you know? That's where where my mind went, like, man, alive, I'd be washing (laughs) sheets and making the bed all the time. See how exciting I am. Jack sounds like a lot of fun. Um, She got all kinds of reactions, needless to say, from the listeners to the show. Some thought she was uh, disgusting. Others praised her unshamed enthusiasm for sex. Um, She says she also has an OnlyFans account, which I think we could have guessed. At that, uh, she recently made headlines when she talked about being fired from her job for posting online about her busy sex life. I don't know if her company was judging her sex life, or maybe just worried that she wouldn't have enough energy to do her job. It sounds like she it sounds like she wouldn't have a lot of time or energy for anything else. That seems like a full time thing. They're. Uh, Annie, anyway, see you back here live on the radio at 4 tomorrow or anytime on demand at KTSA.com.